conservative? You bet. Controversial? Right again. It's time to squabble on The Jim Benson Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Jim Benson Show. Conservative talk radio addressing the issues that concern you here on the BBS radio network. Ever notice how the establishment tries to spin the theft of the 2020 election? Fraud? Why, the 2020 election was the most free and fair in history. But you can't question it. Period. Otherwise, you're committing insurrection, sedition, treason. And you can't look at or talk about any evidence pointing toward the massive fraud that occurred, particularly in the key swing states that decided the election. Matter of fact, you can't look at or question anything related to the election, such as routers connected to the voting machines or the machines they're connected to, paper ballots, scan ballot images, security logs, etc. Why, absolutely not! This is all supposedly proprietary material that the average citizen is far too stupid to understand or to be allowed to examine. Just trust the people who ran the elections. They're unassailable, unapproachable, beyond criticism, and they know what's best for you. So don't question them on anything they did and do, such as their adamant opposition to any attempt to look at election materials and processes which they're bitterly opposing at every step of the way. That, my friends, is how you know the people who did this are guilty, guilty, guilty. And most of the establishment, their pockets or those of their superiors lined with communist Chinese money, supports them. If these people didn't have anything to hide, why are they so hell-bent to hide everything relating to evidence of election fraud? And of course, as time has gone on and more and more questions are being raised and there are more and more piercings of the veil of secrecy surrounding the 2020 elections in these states, we are seeing more and more evidence of massive, well-coordinated, and frankly, diabolical election fraud. If you've been following the nationwide efforts to expose the 2020 election fraud and overturn the 2020 election… You are familiar with the efforts of election integrity warrior Mike Glendale, CEO of MyPillow.com and founder of the free speech website FrankSpeech.com. That's F-R-A-N-K-S-P-E-E-C-H.com. There you will see all the videos Lindell has produced making the case for the 2020 election fraud and the need to overturn the results. There are also a host of great American patriot programs discussing the facts surrounding the election and other important issues of the day. On our last program, I discussed Mike Lindell's Thanksathon, Thanksgiving 2021 telethon, laying out the case for overturning the 2020 election. The 96-hour Thanksathon was still going on during our last show. Since then, several key videos have been posted at frankspeech.com from the Thanksathon, including discussion of a new lawsuit Lindell hopes to bring shortly to the U.S. Supreme Court seeking to overturn the 2020 election. And presentation of a system for replacing the reportedly fraud-prone election machines, which Lindell and others contend are riddled with security weaknesses, designed for vote manipulation, and which were widely hacked in every single U.S. state on and around Election Day 2020, during which millions of votes cast for Donald Trump were flipped 
to reflect votes for Joe Biden, the preferred candidate of communist China. Then there is all the evidence of the other election fraud, such as widespread ballot harvesting with no chain of custody, phony paper ballots used with and scanned multiple times, more than 700,000 ballots counted in Pennsylvania alone without any Republican poll watchers even seeing them, and on and on. Let's listen to audio from a couple of these video presentations. First, here's attorney Kurt Olson discussing the new lawsuit which Lindell is working with several states' attorney generals to get them to sign on to and bring to the U.S. Supreme Court. As you may be aware, originally late last year following the 2020 election, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed a suit with the court seeking to challenge the election results, which was, by the way, joined by 18 other states. The court denied consideration of the lawsuit, citing lack of standing by Texas. Here, Olson discusses how the new lawsuit differs from Paxton's case, which nevertheless many observers believe had merit and should have been considered. Play sound by one, please. What we have presented is a draft model complaint for the state AGs that lays out the case as to why the November 2020 election shouldn't stand. Um, There are four significant differences in this complaint compared to the complaint that was filed by the state of Texas in December of last year. We have new defendants and claims against those defendants. Those new defendants are the United States and then the officers of the United States, the president, the vice president, speaker of the house, the attorney general, and the speaker pro, or the, the president pro tem of the Senate. We have brought claims under Article 4 of the Constitution, the Guarantee Clause, which provides that the, the United States shall provide for a Republican form of government, which, as alleged in the complaint, a stolen election is not a Republican form of government. And we've also alleged violations of the Take Care Clause, and that's Article 2, and that is simply that these officers uh, have a duty to make ensure that the laws of the United States are faithfully executed. And in this election, they were not. Um, one point to talk about the Article 2 claims, which is the same claim that was asserted last time. It's important to recognize that when you hear in the media that these are, you know, the, the, these complaints were baseless claims of election fraud, that's just simply ignoring the claims in the complaint and the actual fact. Because it is a fact that as of October of 2020, there were four Supreme Court justices who wanted to uh, take up a case involving Article II violations, and this in that particular situation was in Pennsylvania, when the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, by fiat, ruled that ballots could be counted after the statutory deadline of November 3rd at 8 p.m., the Supreme Court, or the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, no, no, you can, you can keep counting ballots even if they're not postmarked, they're not signed. You can do that through November 6th. At that time, Justice Ginsburg had passed away and the court was had eight justices on it. There was a, uh, a, a, a claim to, by the Republican Party of Pennsylvania to stay that decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Four justices wanted to take that case up. And for the justices to to, uh, to rule on that, 
they had to believe that the plaintiffs, in that case, the Republican Party of Georgia, would likely succeed on the merits. So this is a long way of saying that the claims under Article 2, there are four Supreme Court justices who want to rule on whether these non these changes to election law by non-legislative actors, such as courts, such as officers, violate Article 2 of the Constitution. In terms of the, the three remaining new issues, we have new arguments for standing. You may recall that in December of last year, the Supreme Court dismissed the Texas case, which was joined by 18 other states, either by intervention or by uh, amicus briefs, that the court dismissed, the Supreme Court dismissed that case, saying that there was no standing on behalf of Texas. And we have two new arguments on that, which we think are very sound, one of which could not have been made before. And that is now that the Georgia runoff election resulted in the U.S. Senate being split 50-50, that, and Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris is the deciding vote, that the other, all the states have standing to bring an action because of that, because as alleged in the complaint, Vice President, now Vice President Kamala Harris was not legitimately elected. And because she has the tie-breaking vote, all states now have an injury as a result of that. The other basis for standing that has been alleged is that this con the Constitution is a compact amongst the peoples of the state. Everybody in each state agreed to play by the same rule. Because accepting the facts in the complaint pled as true, which the court must, the electoral count would be below 270. As a consequence, every state has a right under the 12th Amendment to demand an election pursuant to the 12th Amendment, pursuant to that architecture for the president and vice president. The next distinction in this case is that we have a plethora of new evidence and facts since December. On September 24th, 2021, we had the results of the Maricopa audit. On uh, in October, October, just last month, you had the Racine County Sheriff refer felony criminal charges against the Wisconsin election, saying that the election laws in Wisconsin were not just broken, they were, quote, shattered. You have the Wisconsin Legislative Audit Bureau issue a damning report, finding tens of thousands of ballots that were irregular or, I would argue, illegal. So, for example, there were over 50,000 new registered voters, I believe, who, whose identification didn't even match what was on file at the Wisconsin Election Commission. Like such things as the names weren't the same. I mean, obvious things that would raise uh, questions of Ill illegality. And this is all new information. You have new court decisions. So the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled after the Supreme, the, our Supreme Court dismissed the Texas case that guidance given by the Wisconsin Election Commission on indefinitely confined, which involves potentially over 160,000 ineligible voters, that that guidance was unlawful. In Michigan, you have a Michigan court rule uh, in March of 2021 that the Secretary of State guidance there doing away with signature verification requirements was unlawful. So you have a host of new facts, new developments, new findings, all that make this complaint materially different than the case that was filed in December of 2020. 
The last thing that is materially different, the cover-up. There's evidence that in Maricopa, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors destroyed election records, and they tried to block the audit every step of the way. And they destroyed those election records, uh, apparently, after the court in Arizona ruled that that audit must go forward. And those, the evidence of that has been referred to the Arizona Attorney General for a further investigation and presumably, and hopefully, indictment. There's also evidence of destruction of election records in Georgia that voter GA, a grassroots activist group, filing Freedom of Information Act requests, got emails when they requested the ballot images that those ballots no longer existed. And voter GA also produced emails which are cited in the complaint that the director of elections in Georgia gave guidance saying, hey, it's okay to go destroy the ballot images that existed on the disks for the Dominion voting machine. We also have in Georgia recent developments where a renowned professor of Michigan, computer science professor, has raised the warnings that he can hack into these machines and steal votes. And the judge in that case, and this is in the Northern District of Georgia, sealed his 25,000 word report despite him begging to just release it to the cyber infrastructure and information security agency to fix these problems. And these problems go beyond just Georgia. He, Professor Halderman says that these vulnerabilities go to 16 states, including Georgia. Now, what he doesn't say in that report, which is quite interesting, he is saying that this situation is so dire and so urgent that CISA needs to be notified so they can try to fix these problems before the November or before the 2022 election. But what he glosses over is those same problems apparently existed during the 2020 election. And so this, this is just, these are bombshell developments that are just proving out that the case that Texas brought originally was totally meritorious. The idea that these were baseless allegation, it never was. It was the, the allegations were incredibly strong back then, but they've only gotten stronger. Now let's listen to a few minutes of audio from the presentation during the telethon titled The Solution for Placing the Voting Machines. Play sound by two, please. Hello, everyone. Okay, the moment, one of the moments we've all been waiting for. Uh, this is where we're going to show you uh, the, not only the problems with the machines, and we're going to show you the replacement of the machines, of, this, of the whole system. Uh, we have... Uh, um, uh, do we have do we have uh, Colonel Waldron right? On, do we have Colonel Waldron on the screen? Is he waiting by, standing by? Yeah. Okay. Why don't you bring him up on the screen? I'll introduce him. Okay. Hello, Colonel. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. I'm going to introduce. I'm going to say who you are. I got uh, uh, this is Colonel James Waldron. He's a USA retired. Served in the United States Army for 30 years and a decorated combat veteran. He also, this is where everybody needs to listen, he does extensive operational experience in surveillance and recognizance. He's a strategic communications expert, joint information operations, special technical operations, cyber computer network operations, OPSEC, I'll have to ask in a minute what that is, all source intelligence analysis, 
unconventional warfare and operations integration. Wow. Uh, Colonel, what's OPSEC, O-P-S-E-C? Operation security, that's uh, protecting critical information uh, for a designated period of time that impacts your operations. Okay. Uh, and then uh, and then next to me, everyone, I have um, Sean Smith, and Sean is a retired colonel also, and he's uh, he's a system testing expert. Sean's got all he's been he's got he's gonna what I'm gonna have here I'm gonna have a Phil um, 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 Phil Phil if you can go through the the problems I mean I've I've uh, I've seen you announce it all the problems we have with um, the systems we have now here and here and everywhere, basically, but really um, the systems, the machines, the computers, all the stuff that we've had to deal with. And then maybe, Sean, you can start, uh, um, how do we fix that problem? <laughs> okay, love to. Yeah, in a nutshell, Mike, we've got a system that um, is rife with vulnerabilities. Um, in, in a system, you always attempt to have all of your Everything's short up, no vulnerabilities. Uh, if you've got a weakness or an opening in your system, you fix it. Um, what we found looking around the country at different uh, EMS servers is that these systems are anything but secure. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the cyber experts that, that runs um, commercial uh, cyber setups and, uh, and security for commercial companies, that you couldn't even process a credit card transaction. You wouldn't pass the basic... Uh, compliance inspection needed to handle somebody else's credit card uh, information with one of these EMS servers. They're just so wide open. They have so many vulnerabilities. And the way they're set up, uh, just like um, the the uh, Antrim County, Michigan report, it's set up for, you know, for manipulation. Wow. And, and it's not just the EMS servers. It's also the electronic polling books. Uh, that's been an area where we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of uh, interference. Uh, adding adding uh, what a lot of people have identified through canvassing post election as ghost voters. Uh, houses where um, postal workers deliver ballot after ballot after ballot, but they know that those people don't live there. But that's the address that uh, that they've they've been required to deliver those those ballots do because the poll books are uh, an open hole and you can manufacture voters all day long through the electronic polling books so are the electronic polling books are then are then um i know we had found a discovery about three four weeks ago that they were in alabama south carolina arkansas and i know oklahoma when i talked to them they were they were going oh no because they were getting uh these new polling books are they uh is this something new are there are they are these polling books in every state or are they or are they just now uh, um, coming into play? No, the electronic poll books are pretty widespread uh, all, wow. all across the country. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, they are connected to the Internet. All of this information is uploaded to the cloud. And uh, the cloud, by definition, is a global network of, of computers. It's not a real cloud. It's a, it's a connection of, of computers mm -hmm. that store information. And once it's in the cloud, that information goes everywhere. It's not just in your county or in your state. If it's uploaded to the cloud, it's it's all over the world and in computers all over. That's so, something I don't know that a lot of people when when you upload to you know, upload your pictures to the cloud, we are uploading them there for you know, 
gotten everybody to, to, to see and potentially have access to if your passwords are, are uh, not tight, if you don't practice good uh, communication security, uh, all those things open you up to vulnerabilities. And uh, Sean and, and, and Mark Fincham, uh, Mark Cook, several of us uh, have been kind of working and, and talking for the last several months about, okay, what can we take that's commercially off the shelf available right now? If we get to, to, to your goal of getting rid of the machines, right. what do we replace it with? And that's really what we've been spending a lot of effort uh, looking and talking to, to different companies, whether they are you know, containerized uh, data companies, uh, whether they're um, you know, high-speed uh, secure paper and secure uh, right. signaling companies to you know, going, going back to the basics. Right. Hey, um, Colonel, so I want to ask you something. Um, do you feel, you've been in this for years and years within this cyber field, and do you, by just all the investigating, all the stuff you've seen now, would, would there be, uh, do you think our country, if we don't get rid of these machines by the next election, or these are everything on the Internet, are, is it gone? I've been telling everyone, we're done. It's over. Uh, what would be your take on that? I think um, that these machines, these systems, the current election ecosystem is has to be totally overhauled. Uh, everything from the the election assistance commission to the federally approved labs to the private equity held um, EMS uh, election election management systems companies wow. to the poll book companies. I mean, you got companies that are trying to get into the electronic poll books. Um, the actual company that uh, used bleach bit on on Hillary's server uh, is is trying to get into this uh, to get into this space to to run our elections. I why mean, not? There's a lot of money in the, it, right? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of money in it, and uh, I think the reason that you know we're we're not uh, you know resounding is because we're presenting a solution that's pretty simple, it's cost effective, and it's 100 percent auditable. And we've seen in Maricopa County and Mesa County and Antrim County that the way these systems are set up, they do not want them to be auditable. They don't want to, to be able to uh, have a true audit. Wow, you just said it there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Sean, we go, we're going to go through this. The, well, Mike, so, can I say one more thing real quick? Sure, absolutely. Now, you mentioned on the Internet, um, you know, by get them off the Internet. You know, I, I made a comment, I believe, the first time it was in uh, the Arizona hearing, which was, holy cow, it was a year ago. I mean, it was literally right up, right about a year ago when, when uh, Mark Fincham and Sonny Borelli uh, managed that. It, it's it's kind of like a, a Groundhog Day. It, it doesn't feel like a whole year ago. Yeah. But I mentioned that your, your boat is not as secure as your Venmo account. If you want to know how to secure assets, you talk to a banker. If you want to know how to prevent cheating, you talk to Vegas, the casinos. They prevent cheating, and the bankers secure the money. So those are two things that, that we, we can take a lesson at. I think when Sean and I get into this a little bit later, those, those two examples, and you, you mentioned something the other day when we were talking, um, you know, th there's a capability if you get a concert ticket, that there's, there's encoding on the concert ticket that um, basically is is will prevent somebody else from making a copy of it and going in your place. So there's there's commercially available 
capabilities that are in, in wide use. I mean, the, the one company that we work has been, been in, in business over 20 years, secures uh, bank notes from around the world, tax stamps. Uh, it, it secures supply chain packaging and pharmaceuticals to, to make sure that, you know, your, your, the production isn't, that you don't get, you know, bad, bad items in your, in, when you go to the pharmacy to buy, uh, to buy Tylenol, right. for example. Right. Big scare. So, Still, well, that's what makes the perpetuation of these vulnerabilities so inexcusable to me. Right. Exactly. It seems like, you know, guys like you and I and the people we've worked with, we've been very focused on vulnerabilities to outside aggressors, right, to our defense systems. Yeah. And it feels like we walked into this and looked around and just couldn't believe our eyes. Like, the people who've been telling the American public that everything is secure don't have the slightest idea what they're talking about, or, or maybe worse, maybe they do. But, but at this point, it, the adults have entered the room, and, and it's time that we explain what's true about our voting systems and their vulnerabilities so everybody understands, and tell them we already know how to fix it. The only thing that's keeping us from doing it is the public demanding it and public officials listening. You hear Colonel James P. Phil Waldron there say that the voting machines used all over the, our country are so riddled with security vulnerabilities that you couldn't even use these platforms for processing a credit card transaction. And of course, if you've been following Mike Lindell and his team's activities, you know he and others have alleged that communist China hacked into these voting machines and or the machines they are connected to during the during and after Election Day 2020 and flipped millions of votes cast for Donald Trump to Joe Biden. And that these actions alone in the key swing states were enough to hand the election to Biden. I recommend you go to frankspeech.com and click on the link for this video and watch and listen to the full more than one-hour presentation on the subject. What's recommended is a return to high-security paper ballots – and a system which is entirely auditable and accountable to observers. Why would we not want that? And whereby individual voters can view their own ballot and ensure it is legitimate and reflects their correct votes. Perhaps you, like me, and millions of others around the country, have been wondering how the hell did we come to this point in our history with our elections being stolen – Horrible, radical leftists taking control of our government, educational, social, and even business institutions, and now we're being subjected to the monstrous Marxist revolution that, if not turned back, ultimately smells, spells our demise as a nation and a free people, which, of course, is the goal of the people pushing this madness upon us. Well, to give you perspective on this… It's important to realize that the evil forces of communism, which are currently attempting to take us over, have been around for a long time, centuries actually, and have been steadfast in their mission and their goals. And communism has always had a certain appeal for some individuals, but never for those living under its oppression. Here's some audio from election integrity warrior and multimillionaire businessman and inventor Jovan Hutton Pulitzer. 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 He pronounces it Pulitzer. This is from his Jovan Hutton Pulitzer .locals.com site titled How 1848 Changed Your Life and Started the Plan to Destroy America. 
it was posted and rebroadcast December 5 on his Rumble.com channel. Now, during this discussion, you'll hear you'll, you'll, you'll hear I'm sorry Pulitzer point out that communism is actually a religion. That's right, a religion. It's part of Pulitzer's ongoing podcast series called Cut the Crap. And by crap, he means culture, race, and American politics. Play soundbite three, please. Hey, folks, it's Jovan Hutton Pulitzer. And today, what is the crap we're cutting? As if you watch, listen to my radio program, or you watch me on jovanhuttonpulitzer.locals.com, then you know crap is an acronym. It stands for culture, race, and American politics. Culture, race, and American politics, because that seems to be what is destroying our country day in and day out. Now, I know if you're like me, you ask yourself, what in the hell is going on with my beloved United States of America? How in the hell did we get in this position? Well, it is simply because... Our eyes weren't open. Folks, this happened on Patriots Watch. And let me tell you why it happened. Because we don't go around wearing masks over our face. That's the first clue that it's a total crap, right? We don't hide our faces. We don't go around throwing Molotov cocktails. We don't loot Louis Vuitton stores in the name of social justice, right? Not at all. What we do is we lead productive lives. We try to create great, wonderful homes and environments for our families. We pursue our dreams. We create ownership. We create countries, or companies, I should say. And we literally try to leave something better for our children than we had for ourselves. Now, I know you're joining me from all over. I see Connecticut's in the house, and I see New York, and I see Michigan in the house. Even people from overseas are watching everything that's happening in the United States of America. Why? Because if the United States of America falls, I believe, I believe the whole world falls. And that's why it's very important for me to share with you the day, I can tell you the exact day when our country went into decline. See, in 1847, a group of radicals or radical workers that were called the Communist League, they met uh, kind of like in a coffee shop in London. The coffee shop, communist, socialist, kind of goes together, doesn't it? Well, this Communist League, they uh, commissioned a fellow by the name of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, to, which were new members, by the way, to write a manifesto on their behalf. And this was soon called the Communist Manifesto. Now, you might say, Jovan, what the hell does this have to do with me? What it has to do with you is I'm going to give you a simple test. I am going to let you answer a group of questions that I'm about to post to you. And you tell me if what we're experiencing today is something that was planned and unleashed on the world in 1848. So you seem to think this just happened real quick, and it didn't. 
But once again, just like any addiction, and we're addicted to mainstream media, which makes our mind mush, which is why my program tells you you've got to get a mental enema. So if you've got people sitting next to you, warn them that you're going to about to start stinking in a few minutes because this crap is going to come rolling out of your ears as I give you a mental enema so you understand what the hell is going on in the United States of America and how it happened. Because it started in 1847. Now, this fellow Marx, Karl Marx, was the principal author, and Engels was just, you know, really the editor and assisting. The Communist Manifesto was originally published in London in 1848. So they got together in 47. They published it in 1848. These are what is basically considered the founding documents of modern socialism. It is widely read, and it is incredibly influential, and it is taught to our kids in universities as a way that society should run. Let me go back. It is taught by all of our major universities that this is the way our society should be run. In short order here, when I kind of go through these lists, you are going to understand why these thugs, these hoodlums, put on masks, throw Molotov cocktails, and say, do away with capitalism, do away with private property, earn more money so I can get more. We want your bank account. You're going to understand why they do that. You're going to be, you're really going to understand why a Democrat is a Democrat. You're going to understand more about what the Democrat party is. See, it all goes back to this systematic statement of philosophy that has become known as Marxism. Most people don't even know what Marxism is. So I'm going to give you a quick education on it. Then I am literally going to lay it open just with questions. If you have a pen and paper close to you, put a number down, like number one. And I just want you to do a check mark if it has come into being or it's something we're currently fighting over. And at the end of my broadcast, I want you to look at that piece of paper and you decide for yourself if this has happened in America and this is the plan by which the Democrats are operating. Now for a little history. Marx was born in 18, uh, 1818, died in 1883. He was a German philosopher, economist, a sociologist, and they call him a political revolutionary. Now he met Engels, who was born in 1820. He died in 1895. When he moved to Paris after 1843, and they worked together on several essays. They were writers, okay? Alates. Now, Marx and Engels were best known for their revolutionary writings about communism. One of Marx's primarily, should we say, intellectual influences was the work of a fellow by the name of G.W.F. Hegel. Hegel has a really interesting theory about how you use things in reverse to get people to do them, but we're not going to discuss Hegel's theory at the moment. But it presents a history as a process in which the world becomes conscious of itself as a spirit. You ready for that? See, most people don't know that communism is not a political party. Did you know that? You're taught that communism is a political party. Communism is actually a religion. That is why communism outlaws every other religion around it. Communism is a religion, and it argues that man 
becomes conscious of itself as a spirit. And that as soon as man becomes conscious of him or herself as a spirit, that the material world causes him to feel increasingly alienated from himself. And in order not to feel alienated, that to feel better, you must enact a revolution. The communist standard as the revolution is, and I know people confuse it with a political party, the communist standard is you are God, there is no God, and only what you feel and think is what matters. And that everybody is owing to you, and the only way that it works is if everybody realizes that everybody owes everybody else, And then all will be right and good. Have you heard this before? Everything you have belongs to me. Sounds sounds basic to what's going on, right? See, they taught that the theory was useful insofar that it promotes, ready for this? These are the words back then, social change. Clarifying the proper means and ends to a revolution. Ready for this? Change. Who who did that change? Obama. That they are basically saying change requires revolution. Change must happen. It must be done by revolt, in a revolting manner, by the way. And it basically says that these people that are communist are the ones that are put here to, ready, influence history. They are here because they believe they are, in their own divineness, chosen to change the history of the world. Who, did, who said vote for change? Well, they were, they were right out and open with it. Now, this was all in 1848. It was released, the Communist Manifesto was released in Germany, 1848, just before the eve of the revolution, right? And this was, ready for this? They had just had a failed worker and student revolution. Sound familiar? Unions, always using unions, always using students. But what they had to do is they had to kind of mix mash it together to create a structure for their arguments and give it a revolutionary tone. That was the tenets. Here, I'm going to give you 10 quick tenets, and then the rest of the program is going to be diving into all of the things that I'm just going to see if you think they've come to bear. But here's just the bottom line of how can you tell if a person is following the basic 10 core principles of the Communist Manifesto written in 1848 that this country, the Senate, warned about it in 1963. JFK spent a tremendous amount of time saying this is coming to our shores and we have to make sure we stop it. You probably don't hear that about that Democrat. That's because those Democrats are gone, and that is not what our Democratic Party is today. Here it is. Ready? Number one, tenant: Abolition of property and land 
an application of all rents of land to public purposes. That means every piece of personal property, building, and land is surrendered to the government. You do not own it. And you become a renter only. The government owns it. You become a renter. Now, why do they do that? They do it because if you don't go and do what the party says, they can kick you out because they're your landlord and they can put somebody else in. Tenant number two, a heavy, progressive, and graduated, what? Income tax. This was written in 1848. Three, the abolishment of all rights of inheritance. Right now, the uh, Democrats are trying to impose a 50% death tax where if your folks or parents or heirs, you know, leave something to the heirs, they, the state gets 50%. Why are they trying to do that? Because 50% gets them closer to getting 100%. Next, the fourth tenant, confiscation of the property of all rebels. By the way, you found out recently we're all rebels because we're discussing this. <laughs> Number five, the centralization of credit in the hands of the state by the means of a national bank with a state capital, and they have an exclusive monopoly on it. Decentralizations of the means of communication and transport, all of it goes into the hands of the state, meaning they own the media, they own the transportation. Every state and factories and the instruments therein then belong to the state, period, and that all the lands that are cultivated, including west wastelands, are all done to a common plan that the government chooses, and the government says what you can grow. Equal liability of all to work, meaning everybody has to work, right? And at first, the people not work right now. They get on the tit, and then they're for a shock when communism comes. And that all agriculture, everybody, every agriculture everywhere is pushed into one central group, where you must depend on the government for your food. And then last but not least, we must give free education for all children in public schools. But it must be a combination of what the state wants them to know, how the state wants to train them, and the state decides what your career is. Now, those are 10 little samples written in 1848. We're going to dive into this as I go forward in the next few minutes, and I'm just going to pose some questions to you, and I'm going to let you decide on your own, is this what's going on in the United States of America? Pulitzer goes on in his program to cite, as I recall, 45 points listed as the goals of international communism that would be used to subvert and destroy America. And these were, he says, published in the U.S. Congressional Record way back in 1963. Remember his comments about Kennedy and so forth? These include such things as promoting what today is known as the LGBTQ agenda, part of a cultural Marxism, infiltrating and taking over the U.S. educational system and media, promoting the United Nations and world government. Sound familiar? Isn't it interesting that some of this cultural Marxism rot has spread to China, where there's currently a crackdown and ban 
underway on effeminate or sissy-looking male social influencers. You see, while the Communist Chinese Party promotes this type of thing in the West, where they want wishy-washy, effeminate males who can be easily taken over, in their own culture, the CCP wants warrior males who can be used to take over the world. And their plans for doing that are, are well documented. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I say yes. Jovan is correct. Communism is a religion. It's a religion of mass murder, slavery, and terror, and the hundreds of millions who struggled and perished under its yoke across the world would agree. Because you see, under communism and other forms of socialism, the ends justify the means. So mass murder, slavery, and terror are perfectly acceptable along the road to the workers' utopia that's never been reached anywhere under the monstrous evil that is communism. But the true believers still abound. All you have to do for confirmation of this is to look at communist China, where after more than 100 years of the existence of the Communist Chinese Party there and its absolute control of the country for more than 70 years, many tens of millions of Chinese people have been starved to death, beaten to death, and executed by firing squads. Remember, what their hero Vladimir Lenin said, how can you have a revolution without firing squads? They've been imprisoned and forced to give up all their possessions and live as slaves. This is the country that sees the USA as its enemy, but where so many of our incredibly stupid oligarchs and corporations have been ever so eager to pour money in to help prop up the CCP. A country where, according to NTD programs China in Focus, I'm sorry, NTD's program, China in Focus, more than half the Chinese people earn only about $160 a month to live on, where barely 5% of the population earns just 800 or more in a month, and where the CCP elites hold most of the wealth and property. In recent years, economic reforms have allowed people to, again, own properties, I understand, but if the CCP doesn't like what you're doing, or otherwise watch your property, they send their goons out to beat you up, kick you out of your home, and demolish it. Isn't it interesting that the current emperor of China, CCP chairman Xi Jinping, was recently forced to scale back his attempts to impose a new wealth tax on property owners? The reason? Again, according to NTD, Xi has been facing intense opposition to this new real estate tax from within his own party. You see, just as in all totalitarian communist states, the CCP elites are the ones holding most of the wealth, they and their families. So here you have communists resisting taxes on themselves. This is the wonderful, hypocritical, insane, totalitarian communist state our monstrously evil capitalist elites are so eager to help prop up in their insane greed to make a few bucks at the expense of our freedoms. Yet they believe they will be allowed to keep their own wealth and power when they turn us over to their masters in China. China, you see, as commentator Glenn Beck has pointed out, is the model of the future of government and business for these idiots who claim to be our own capitalist elites. How stupid and naive can you be? But as I keep saying, 
As Lenin said, when it comes time to hang the capitalists, they'll sell us the rope. And here we are selling them the rope. That's it for another show. As always, we hope you found the content of the value. You can listen to a podcast of today's show once it's posted in the next few days on The Jim Benson Show page at bbsradio.com. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day and evening.